0: Thank you. I'm going to invite up Dan Holland now, who's going to be sharing the word with us today. Um, Really blessed to have um, Dan with us. Why don't you give him a round of applause as he prepares to share God's word. Um, Dan is a a friend. We've been talking for a few months um, about the possibility of doing a mission with his organisation here in the city. uh, With a couple of other churches as well. Dan works with Through Faith Missions and is based in Cambridge and um, Dan we're really encouraged to have you here today and his message title today is giving up is not an option so really excited to hear what he's got to share should we just pray for him before he shares the word with us Father we thank you that Lord you use us to administer your word and Lord we pray for Dan just now as he comes to bring your word to us today that you would empower him afresh with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that your words would just tumble out of his mouth with such accuracy and with such power as to convict of sin and also to encourage those who are failing, those who are feeling discouraged, Lord, that these words would just prove to be such a strong, powerful encouragement to us all. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you, Graham. It's a lovely uh, intro, which saves me having to, to do all those preambles. It's really good to, to be with you. And I'm excited about the possibility of a mission in uh, Wolverhampton. Some people have been praying for such a thing for maybe even decades. So um, it's incredible how we sort of live in the moment. We're very instant culture and um, maybe quite a me centered culture. But God's often been working on such a, a big picture a long-term plan and we just get by his grace we get to step into it every every now and again and lift up the the tapestry and see what he's been doing behind scenes which is incredible such a privilege and um, thank you again pastor Graham for this this uh, opportunity so may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be pleasing be glorifying to Jesus this afternoon in this place be lifted up Lord Jesus let your spirit have full reign in this place Lord take us places we never expected to go in your word open our eyes Lord God lift all discouragement lift all heaviness from us let us dine at your table as we sang earlier to eat a 16 ounce steak this afternoon Lord God and just chew on your word together and get such nourishment from it amen So I'm probably going to take this passage, very famous passage, you may have heard many messages on it, in in a different direction this afternoon, I flatter myself uh, an original direction, you'll be the judge of that. Um, (laughs) But before we get to that, (laughs) um, who here doesn't get regular big fat juicy opportunities to give up? Good, so I'm glad I'm talking to the the right people. I've learned to ask it that way around, so it's very deflating when you're looking for a bit of participation. and People are quite they have had their lunch and they're not in a participatory meal, uh, <laughs> participatory mood, I should say. Um, so I, I, I used to be a pastor, and I'm sure it's not like this in, in uh, you know, Hope Church, and Graham never has these moments, but most weeks I had a big, fat, juicy opportunity to say, you know what, stuff it. You know what? <laughs> it's too difficult. You know what? I don't need other people's attitudes. I've got, what about me? What about me? What about me? As Joyce Meyer would say. Um, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd throw a, um, a self-pity party and, and try and invite some friends, but no one would come. So I'd just have it alone. I'd go down to the bottom of the garden and eat some worms and, and feel bad for, for a short time. And God wasn't interested at all. He didn't really want to answer my questions and was rather silent about uh, Such things, Um, and I've I've learned the hard way that um, why not just cut out those uh, you know self pity parties? Why not just um, you know stand up like a soldier and endure hardship? Why not just you know don't get so upset because all the energy drains out, and you know you're going to have to come back in the end anyway. So let's just cut out the middleman, as it were. But if we're serious about following Jesus. If we're serious about discipleship, and I really am, and I think some of you probably are, life can be really challenging. All sorts of things get thrown at us. The enemy is very invested in getting us to, to give up early on. You know, just snuff, just snuff the life out of it when it's early on, when there's not much strength there. He'll always try, he's the dragon in Revelations uh somewhere in the, the teens he's the dragon there crouching waiting to devour the baby that's coming that's just about to be born um, there's such a spiritual picture there obviously it's specifically referring to certain things but in our individual life in our church life the enemy sometimes he's crouched like a dragon and he wants to devour he, want, he spots life, he spots development he stop, spots people wanting to, to grow in Jesus and he's, he's there and he wants to just, he wants to just uh, snuff it out we need to be wise unto salvation you know it's no good pretending he's not there I'm not here this afternoon to glorify the enemy not one bit of it but I do want us to be um, real and to be equipped to run the race that is set before us I want to run well I want to run really well and I want to finish well anyone can start well anyone can have a burst of life and you know a few fireworks at a conference that's not the kind of Christian life I aspire to praise God for those moments I want to run fast and hard. I don't want to be the kind of Christian that needs to come to church every Sunday and be plugged into an IV machine and have some teacher bring me back to life, to resurrect me spiritually. I want to come in full of life, full of anointing, expecting God to move. I want to see the miraculous. You know, I don't want to be someone that's a drag on the team. (laughs) Obviously, there's grace. There's grace in the house, and we're all on a journey, and we're all at different stages but I've spit the dummy out the the pram one too many times and I'm not going to do it anymore. You know, I want to grow up. And, um, you know, be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. And the flesh has to be dealt with. And very often the discouragements that come, they can actually be, and I'm guilty of this, I always want to make it about spiritual warfare and the enemy's having a go, and of course he does. But sometimes what we're reaping is actually what we've sown a few years before or in a conversation a week ago or sometimes we actually we're reaping what we've we're putting the energy out and we're reaping it back and we don't like it or I don't like it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. This passage about the the rich young ruler, I'm not going down the road of, of money this afternoon. That's not my main emphasis. What I want to get to is this man, this young ruler who's come to Jesus and is offered a profound opportunity. Have you noticed in the Gospels? Very often, Jesus sends people away. He doesn't have an alpha course lined up for the minute someone shows a bit of interest. <laughs> he doesn't have a welcome pack. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have. <laughs> we'll pick you up on Sunday or Saturday, actually. You know, we'll get you to synagogue. We'll take you out for a meal afterwards. You know, the kind of things we, you know, um, rightly do to try and encourage people into the, the you know, church life because it's so alien for people but Jesus often didn't do that he was very confident in who he was and what the kingdom of God was offering people and he'd send them back sorry legion, or no, not called legion anymore you go back to the Decapolis no, 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 you go back to your village and incidentally, very often he'd tell people don't tell anyone about the miracle I've worked in your life <laughs> And what would they do? They'd go and immediately cause trouble for him. He was especially anointed on the Sabbath to heal. Have you noticed that? Offended the religious people every time. If he was in it for people and their reaction, he'd have stopped very early on. I think there's a place in maturity where we love people and we're there for people, but we don't need to be continually patted on the back. We're not destroyed if they criticize us. There's a place where it's... You know, God, if you're happy with me, and I'm happy with me. Let's be people to pat us on the back. So anyway, this rich young ruler was offered something really incredible here. Do you notice Jesus doesn't contradict him when he says, all these laws I've kept since childhood. Extraordinary. Jesus could have had a word of knowledge where you broke this law on this occasion, that law on that occasion, and destroyed him publicly. He doesn't do that. He doesn't contradict, this is an extremely righteous man, this is a serious guy. (laughs) Now, some commentators have a theory, which I'm going to ask you to run with, with me this afternoon, was that this rich young ruler is actually John Mark. He's a rich young ruler, he's a wealthy man, he's a righteous man. The The gospel reading we had is from the gospel of Mark, it's also in the other synoptic gospels, but just just indulge me. Let's think for a minute that this rich young ruler was indeed John Mark. And he goes away sad. And I think Jesus is sad too, because he's offered him something precious. Jesus perhaps already knew what was coming with Judas, what Judas was already doing, that there would be a vacancy available shortly for the 12th apostle. Imagine being invited in and being enshrined in scripture for all time and having a throne in, the, in, in heaven with the other 11 apostles potentially but he turns that away, he turns that offer away. On this occasion it's the money that's gripping him. The issue isn't whether we've got money and we need rich business people in the kingdom of God, my goodness me, you know, we could do so much if we had some more money. The issue is, do we possess our possessions or do our possessions possess us? It's often not a case of good, bad. It's a question of, as, especially as we, we mature in our Christian walk, it's less about what we're doing outwardly. It's what's, what's processing internally. Jesus is interested in, do you possess your possessions or do your possessions possess you? <laughs> Or even more importantly, do I possess the possessions that you possess? (laughs) Because I possess you and you possess me. Or is it like my daughter? Let's share. When when I she's she's got incredible hearing. If I open a bag of crisps and she's anywhere in the house or street, she comes running. Any bag of sweets, she comes running. Daddy, big eyes, let's share. And she's got me wrapped around her little finger. Don't tell her that if you ever meet her, but I love it. And she's like, she'll come and sit next to me on the set. Let's watch, Daddy. She knows how much I like to watch something with her. Let's share. What she means is, give me what you've got. If she's got anything, it's not let's share. It's go away. <laughs> or, or that annoyed look like you weren't supposed to know I was eating something. <laughs> Because we've got the same tastes. You could just eat bags and bags of crisps, which is bad. But anyway, <laughs> here we have a guy turning away from Jesus. So if you're willing to indulge me, we're going we're to track this character that could potentially be John Mark, whom di- Peter dictated this Gospel of Mark to him. He's a very literate guy. It would ring true. This is a guy who's been well-educated. Gospel of Mark is extremely well-written you know, extremely cleverly put, put together. It's the, it's the kind of, it's the grid for the other synoptic gospels. Um, it would ring true. This wealthy guy, has been well-educated, had the best, been to Eton, you know, been to Oxford. He knows how to put something together. Why wouldn't God use that ability? Um, so Peter could dictate the Gospel of Mark to him. Well, so here we have the first instance of someone turning back. Giving up is not an option. Giving up is not an option. Very often you can see patterns in people's lives, especially if you're in a position of a Christian leadership, pastoring, you spot patterns very quickly. You get better at spotting patterns in people's lives and recognising God takes someone around a mountain. I mean, I've been round a mountain so many times. <laughs> Each time there's an opportunity. Yes, it's a different person, but it's exactly the same scenario. <laughs> Slightly different, but... He's taking you around the mountain and saying, want to have a go at this one again? Are you gonna, well, How are you going to react this time? How are you going to respond this time? Anybody ever had someone in their workplace, you think, I cannot stand being in the presence of this person. There's just a the chemistry that is evil. <laughs> and they push my buttons. I don't, they don't have to open their mind, just a glance from their eyes and they've got me all wound up. And I can't work in that place anymore. I could be a really good Christian if I didn't have to. You know work with that person so you find a way to to spiritualize it and leave and go somewhere else and welcoming you into the building the first morning of your new job is exactly the same person in different skin except they're even worse <laughs> they trigger you even more if we're serious about God he is extremely serious about us he's extremely experienced uh, He's extremely serious about our discipleship. You see, he doesn't want babies forever in the kingdom of God. Yes, we have to enter as children to be childlike, but not childish. We can maintain a childlike faith and be very mature. But what he doesn't want is 20, 30, 40 years down the road, you've got a bunch of childish people who are continually falling out with each other, haven't matured, haven't got an unoffendable heart, haven't got those attributes that Jesus shows. How do we get to that? How do we get to that place of maturity? When we're gripped by fear, when we're tempted to turn back, when we're pressured to give up, we say, no. Sometimes the hardest thing to do is just to show up. I think some of the bravest things I've ever done is just to show up to a mission. You know, not feeling great, not got any words of prophecy, not floating in the heavens. The week before a mission can be some of the most opposed days. (laughs) And just to show up is a victory. Just to say, I'm still going, I don't care if I have to take 50 trains or walk it. (laughs) You will not stop me going. I don't care how many obstacles there are to coming to church on a Sunday afternoon and how many phone calls there are from family members who can only visit on a Sunday afternoon or how many football matches only can occur on a Sunday I'm going, you won't stop me Jesus is looking for that kind of an attitude obviously there are times to be flexible but there are times not to be flexible <laughs> little decisions Little choices add up to big decisions and big choices. If we take the easy option when it's easy, we won't be able to take the hard option when it's hard. We can train easy, to use a military analogy, we can train easy, fight hard, or we can train hard and fight easy. I recommend, and I'm sure you are people that do this, get deep in the word of God when there are no Clouds in the sky when it's a sunny day, when everything's going your way. Get deep into the Word of God. And when the storm comes, you'll be ready. You'll be able to stand. Don't wait until the crisis hits. Don't wait until trouble knocks at your door. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. The way we stand is building the Word of God into our hearts and lives. So wherever we're cut, wherever we bleed, The word of God bleeds out. I think it was Wesley who spoke about our blood should become bibline. It's so completely ensconced in our system. So completely embedded in us that wherever we're cut, the word of God comes out. So patterns of fear in people's lives. I think this is actually a fear response from Mark. The fear of lack. Ever had the fear of lack? I certainly can be confronted in the last few months. The energy will comes through the door. I'd love to say I'm unmoved. (laughs) The reality is it took me a few hours to get back into a place of faith. God, what has happened? (laughs) Heaven's not an inflation. There's no energy crisis in heaven, but there are problems down down here. I think there's an element of fear here in... uh, John Mark's heart. heart. So some people fight when they feel frightened. Maybe the bully in your school playground wasn't the bravest person at all. Maybe he was the biggest coward, but he was projecting his fear out and fighting and dominating and controlling. Sometimes people dominate because they're terrified. They have to control every environment they're in because they're terrified of anyone seeing the real them. Ever met anyone like that? The more whole we are, the less we need to control the environment we're in. We're okay with ourselves, whatever's going on. You know? Which takes us back full circle to that work scenario. If someone can trigger us, they have control over us. If we need to control our environment, control a certain person, then they have control over us. Freezing. Some people, when they're frightened, they freeze like a rabbit in the headlights. Become completely paralyzed. Impotent. You know what fear does to people? It narrows the bandwidth of their minds, of their ability to think. You know, all this, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not here to say we, sh- we should be really good stewards. And if we're serious about discipleship, then that, that, that's a natural outflow of that. But our children are pumped this fear about the, you know, be careful what I say, but how, sh, how, how little time we've got left before it all goes kaboom. And, and I resent my daughter at six being told these things. You know, I want her to have hope. <laughs> I want her to have good things um, injected into her mind and into her spirit, not this doom laden stuff. And what it does to our children, what it does to young people, and we've got an absolute scourge of mental health. Um, problems in our society. It narrows the bandwidth of their mind. They can't think, they can't learn. That's what fear does. It freezes people, they get stuck, turn into a stalactite. That's not what Jesus wants. Fawning. We can become an absolute flatterer. And someone really upsets us, and they sense it, and they come to us, look, I think I might have upset you when I said X, Y, Z. Oh, no, you didn't at all. It's absolutely fine. Perfectly okay. Fawning. (laughs) Just blowing with the wind wherever it blows. Someone says something over here, you agree with them. Someone says something over there, you agree with them. (laughs) Unwilling to confront at any, any level, even the most basic level. We need correction, don't we? We need people who say to us, I think you're wrong on that. I think your attitude was a bit off when you spoke to so-and-so. Fleeing, just running away. The danger is, habits are really powerful, you know. Small things, small choices lead to big choices. Small decisions lead to big decisions. Every day we're forming habits, whether we know it or not, in our lives, in our spiritual life. And, you know, I think there's been, the pendulum has swung too far in the, in the other direction from... You know, memory verses and quiet times and those you know good old, you know, good old things that were built into Sunday schools. And um, well, no, I'll just Google it or when when it suits me. Or you know, they can be legalistic, but they can also be really godly. You know, John Wesley was big on you know godly habits and all these things. His lists he'd send out to his ministers all the time of what they could build into their their week. Why? Because it stood them in good stead when there was a difficult decision to make. So habits are really very important. And if we start running, the enemy will keep us running for the rest of our lives. Have you ever met people who are serial church hoppers? Now, there are good reasons to leave a church and times when it's right and right ways to do it. But I know people, and it can sound self-indicating as an ex-pastor, but people who ran away, and I knew they were running away, (laughs) And doing it for bad reasons and bad-mouthing me all the way wherever they went, which they may have had a point, but it was also, they were hiding the real issue of their heart. (laughs) If you start running, the enemy will keep you running for the rest of your life. Sometimes the bravest thing to do is just to stand. Ephesians 6, that's all we're asked to stand, Just stand in the day, in the evil day. You know, just don't give up any ground when the enemy's coming in like a flood. And he will pass over like a flood, and it won't be like that forever. But if he convinces you or me to run, it will be easier to run the next time. And there are people who have been through, maybe in Wolverhampton, 60 churches. Do you know there are no spirit-filled churches in Wolverhampton? There's no, no good pastors. There's no one who will no look after you properly. There's no good Sunday schools. <laughs> I had this really amazing um, anecdote of a pastor who was introducing two new families to his church one family came and said oh we've come for this amazing church they did everything it was all singing all dancing they had this they had that they had the other and then then they asked him what's your church like he said it's very simple it's exactly like the church you're describing then another family came into his office they said our previous church was awful it was gossipy it was divisive it was legalistic it was you name it everything bad and they said. Finally asked him, well, what's your church like then? He said, it's exactly like the church you're describing. Do you see the wisdom there? (laughs) We carry all that stuff with us. If we start running, we'll be running until we turn around and say, no more. (laughs) No more. (laughs) Well, John Mark crops up again in a couple of chapters' time. He's in the garden. More pressure, more attack. He's there with the, the apostles And um, the, the temple guards come in, and they come to drag Jesus away. And the disciples don't have their finest hour, but there's a young man there. And he's wearing a linen robe, again, potentially indicating wealth. And he runs away. And the garment is pulled off him as he flees. It's a strong suggestion that this is also John Mark. And we see a habit, we see a pattern beginning to emerge. Spiritually speaking as well, when we run like that, it's as if the covering, the mantle that is protecting us, I, I, you know, I got so much benefit when I submitted to a pastor, when I said, or, or just kind of in my heart, dealt with my attitudes and submitted to, to a local church. I got all the blessing of God's anointing on that pastor and on that church. If we run away, very often we're stripped spiritually. And guess, guess who's there <laughs> to come on, the, come on the attack and draw blood if he can? The enemy. We run away for the wrong reasons with the wrong attitude in our hearts. We're fair game for the enemy. Well, we see Mark popping up again in the book of Acts. He's had this amazing, he's on the first apostolic missionary trip. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are sent out from Antioch. And they go through Cyprus. And there are signs and wonders and things like Paul causing the magician to be blind for three days. That's a difficult one. to. I'll leave that for Graham another time. (laughs) Making people blind for three days. Can we have an orderly prayer queue? Um, (laughs) I'll leave that for Graham. However, he's experienced the miraculous. He's alongside potentially the greatest evangelist other than Jesus of all time. Paul evangelizes the whole Greek-speaking world and the list of signs and wonders, you know, it's just incredible. We can be around the most anointed Christians. We could be with Billy Graham if he was still here with us and not grow ourselves because only we can make the decisions relating to our growth. I'm all for the laying on of hands. I'm all for receiving other people's anointing. I'm all for that. But where the rubber hits the road, is our personal discipleship and our saying yes to Jesus in the small things so we can say yes to him in the big things. So anyway, Mark has had this incredible experience and they've gone through, they've gone through Cyprus. But then Paul says, right, we're going up into Asia Minor. We're going up to Pamphylia. Uh, slight problem there for John Mark. Don't want to go. And there's just one verse there in uh, Acts 13. And he turns back. We see a habit, pattern emerging in his life. When it gets difficult, when it's contested, he starts running away, he turns back. What do we do when we're under pressure? What decisions do we make when it's not going our way and we're called to go further than we'd planned to go? As I say, he's been with the most anointed evangelists in history, other than Jesus. He's seen incredible things. What possible reasons could there be for him turning back? We're not told why, and I think Scripture is very kind to us in that regard, like with Paul's thorn in the side and other instances where we're not told precisely why, although people have got their theories. Was it a mother-in-law? Was it the Judaizers? There's all sorts of theories, but, you know, we have to be careful. We can't actually be didactic about it. We're not told. I think that's so In God's wisdom, he's designed it that way so we can insert ourselves into that situation with our particular struggle, with our particular besetting sin or whatever it might be. And it helps us. It helps me anyway. I hope it helps you. That's what I always try and do is insert myself into scripture and say, where am I in this, God? Anyone not do that? Good. Then I'm talking to the right people. (laughs) A parable. Where do I fit in this parable, God? Which one am I? (laughs) Oh dear, I'm the elder brother. Another time, great. (laughs) I'm I'm the son that said no and and actually went after all. I encourage you, ask God when you're reading the Bible, where, where do I fit into this? You know, drop me into this particular parable and show me something about myself. So could it be exhaustion? He's been working too hard. Now, in Christian ministry... There's more than... There's job security for several lifetimes. I mean, in a city like Wolverhampton, sure Graham could keep going for 500 years and still find... (laughs) Maybe that's a prophetic word there. You're going to live a very long, healthy life. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) there's more than enough work for all Christians to do for the rest of their lives. It's bizarre that we often end up squabbling over smaller things. But um, when we say someone's tired... Have you ever had someone say you look tired and then three other people say you look tired and think flip I feel dreadful I need to go home and lie in bed for an afternoon but maybe what God's saying is not do that not retreat and have a sabbatical maybe he is but maybe he's not saying that maybe he's saying you need to enter more into the peace of Christ you need to enter in, strive to enter his rest you need to keep doing what you're doing but do it from a deeper place of security and sonship. You need to keep doing what you're doing, but let me help you deal with some of your fears that are draining energy out of your life. Do you see what I'm saying? It's so easy to assume we know what someone should do, what their action should be, but often it's fear-based rather than faith-based. So if we're feeling tired, it might be we need to press in even harder in praise and worship, not sit down like I just over there (laughs) so often we go with the human wisdom in inverted commas rather than thank gods malarial regions there are malarial problems in in asia they haven't got jabs they haven't got tablets for malaria maybe oh no if i go there i'll get sick and i'll die the enemy's very good at giving you the worst case scenario isn't he if i catch that plane it'll crash and that'll be the end of me um, well, it might be. There's all sorts of risks in life. It's risky to cross the road out there. It's risky to introduce yourself to a stranger. It's risky to share the gospel. They might reject you. We can't erase risks from life. Sometimes God's saying, man up. <laughs> Discharge your ministry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, it's, this isn't a, a, a gender thing, but you know, let the men show up. Let the men take their place. Let the sons rise up. We don't need um, babies wailing all the time. We need sons to show up, people who know who they are. Cyprus was one thing, maybe. Maybe um, there were family members that uh, that Mark John Mark knew there. There were synagogues. There was the safety of some you know Jewish culture. Maybe he felt safe with that. But this idea of going into a whole new barbarian region who knows what they did no doubt the enemy was whispering to him you know they're headhunters over there they'll eat you alive they're barbarians godless people in any way should they have the gospel in any case shouldn't this just be for jews maybe there's a cultural aspect money who's funding all this mission i'm losing income every day i'm away i'm losing income maybe mark had vineyards he had fields he had tenant farmers that he wasn't satisfied with doing a proper job he said I need to go back and check out my lands I need to go back and check out my, 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 um, my banks what's happening to the money is Mark worried how deep he's getting in oh my goodness I thought I was just going to church on a Sunday and now they want me to come to an alpha now they want me to set up chairs and now they're asking me to join the worship team what next? they seem to think my whole life should revolve around this church malarkey I'm getting in too deep there'll always be family members you're joining a cult you're joining a cult (laughs) get away before you get in too deep (laughs) scared we'll lose ourselves well that's kind of the deal (laughs) if we want to keep our lives we've got to lose them (laughs) in all that serving and giving and sharing we find true life we find out who we truly are was Barnabas more pastoral than Paul? definitely he was And he was the leader to begin with. The first nine chapters, it's Barnabas and Paul. Then it becomes Paul and Barnabas. Paul has assumed the leadership of that team. Well, I can tell you, Paul's great to read about. He'd be very difficult to be alongside. Some of these apostolic characters are great to read about, great to see them in the magazines. Try living with them. (laughs) I'm always so blessed by Jackie Pullinger. Anyone here not seen Jackie Pullinger? She's terrifying. That's just on a stage 100 meters away. Imagine going and living with her. You have to shape up pretty fast. Some of these apostolic characters are not easy to be around. They're not going to stroke you like the pastor. Not going to make it all easy. The work ethic is off the scale. Can you imagine trying to catch up with Paul? (laughs) Okay, guys, we're leaving at 3 a.m. We're going to get to (laughs) Pisidian Antioch. Five hours of prayer, fasting, then we're going to go and confront the the demons in the temple. You know, you can imagine. I don't want to be around someone like this, stirring up the demonic everywhere he goes. I want to be around a nice pastor who makes it all, gives me cake, you know, (laughs) cares for me. (laughs) I had a real shock when I was in a church that was originally pastored by a very pastoral couple. They left for a sabbatical and guess who was sent in? An evangelist. It was a massive shock to the system. All of that pastoral care vanished overnight. <laughs> it's not comfortable. <laughs> he wasn't interested in the house visits and the coffees at Costa and all those other things. It was, it was a shock to the system. There's happy news here at the end. It's not all down, down, down. Clearly at some point, John Mark confronted his demons, confronted his own weaknesses his own frailties his own attitudes and decided from now on I'm saying yes not no I'm not going to run anymore how do I know this at the end of his ministry the last book that he wrote Paul says uh, to Timothy, writes to Timothy Go, get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry bearing in mind Barnabas and Paul infamously had, had a big fallout about John Mark Paul said I'm not taking him with me again He ran away last time and maybe he knew about other incidents that we're not aware of. Barnabas was far more more pastoral and possibly the uncle or cousin of of John Mark that's in um, Colossians 4. He says no no you know the pastor wants give him another chance let him grow this time he won't let us down. Well they have a fallout but here at the end of Paul's ministry there's reconciliation for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. You may say, oh my goodness, this is, this is my whole life I've run away. It's my whole life I've been a forner or a freezer or a fighter. What do I do about it? There's always grace in God. If we just turn around and stand, say, Jesus, this time I'm not going to run away. This time I'm choosing... You, I'm choosing the cross. God's there in an instant to help us. Finally. Brilliant. Now we can deal with this attitude in your heart. Brilliant. Now, I've wanted to take that away from you for years. He's so gracious. There's no point at which we run past his grace and his mercy. So what do we learn here this afternoon? Initial failure doesn't mean final failure. Gerald Coates said this, great leaders are simply leaders that don't give up. I love that. know, <laughs> Sometimes the hardest thing is just to show up. It's just to not give up. <laughs> but if we do that, enough times we get to a place of victory. We get to a place of maturity. am not saying I'm there yet, but I have less weeks where I think, well, oh, that's it. I'm off. We need to... We need to have a sanctified, bloody-mindedness. Say, so I don't care how many times you come with that lie. I'm standing. I, I am not, I've run before. I'm not going to run again. We have to learn what's really in us before we turn to Jesus in desperation. I was saying this morning, I thought, Lord, I thought I'd given everything to you five years ago, ten years ago, and now I realise how precious little I'd actually given to Jesus. I kind of meant it in the moment, but then you, you hit into things and you realize, well you can 't have my money, Lord, and you can 't have my foreign holiday and you can 't have this and you can 't have my yes, my daughter belongs to you, but only when she 's well and you 're doing well, and you know otherwise I have to take control back. Now those may not be your weaknesses, but i 'm guessing you 've got some areas that you really struggle to relinquish to Jesus to give up. Trying to do it yourself, Fear, fearful habits often take a long time to correct. Absolutely, God can do it sovereignly in the moment. In my experience, it's been a long, slow process of discipleship, because He's in it for the relational aspect. You know, you get to know Him really well when you're wrestling and struggling with certain issues. Our prayer lives can take a whole new, whole new become a whole new. Um, Take a whole new gravity when we're really desperate. Sometimes we need to become desperate enough we're willing to lose our dignity. I'm not going to the front in in front of all those people when there's a prayer call for fear. I don't want people knowing I'm the strong one. Well, sometimes we have to be willing to risk our dignity to get our deliverance. And that comes through being exposed to what's really inside of us. Should you choose to go ahead and have a mission, mission is wonderful for this, it puts the squeezes on you. (laughs) I I recommend mission, it would be the best thing you could do, (laughs) best thing you could do to come on a mission, but in the process, the squeeze is on, and whatever we're full of will come out. (laughs) Out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. (laughs) Full of... Confusion, gossip, and fear. When you're squeezed, that's what will come out. If you're full of love and grace and security and obedience, what will come out when you're squeezed? All of those, all of those virtues. It's a great way to discover what's really inside you. Sometimes those things, those habits, those godly habits, take time. Thirty days to 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 start a, a habit. Sixty days, they say, to break one. Well, God can shorten that time, but I think there's something something about setting yourself. 60 days I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And after that 60 days, you might find, well, I don't really want to stop doing it now because it's giving life to me. I've pushed through to a place where it's actually ministering life. No one can take those steps for us and not many will accompany us. It can be lonely, this Christian life. The further we go, the less people there are with us. Jesus will be there and we'll know him better but sometimes we have to leave, not that we leave Christian friends behind but the relationship changes because we've moved on past where they were willing to go. It's not a cheap or easy thing to follow our call from Jesus. Billy Graham famously said, salvation is free, discipleship will cost you everything you have. But if like me, I hope this is many decades down the road, I want to finish this race really strong. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. In worship, I just felt I was glancing with the eyes of my spirit and seeing this hall absolutely full of people. Now that can seem like a flattering thing to say, but I believe that's what God was showing me. And maybe that's why God gave me this message. Giving up is not an option. Just keep going. Just keep pressing. Just keep believing. Just keep reaching out. And you will see what you've dreamt, dreamt of. Those visions, those dreams that God's put on your heart, they're there for those that press on. Thank you very much.
0: Let's see.